Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 221 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a landscape photographer and YouTube creator who recently quit his full-time job to pursue photography full-time, Mark Denny. Mark and I discuss his brave journey into photography and what compelled him to make the leap, as well as all of the challenges that lay before anyone else looking to do the same thing. We also discuss his recent van conversion project, his love for teaching, and a whole lot more. Before we get started, I wanted to remind listeners about Nature Photographers Network. NPN is easily the best place on the web for nature photographers to hang out, share photos, and have conversations. But did you know that as a member of NPN, you get access to exclusive discounts? I almost forgot too until I was going to buy Helicon Focus uh, for macro focus stacking. And I remember that as an NPN member, I could get a discount. That saved me $40 right there, easily paying for my membership. Even better, listeners of the podcast are eligible for a 30-day free trial to the platform, plus 20% off their first year of membership. Just head over to naturephotographers.network forward slash f-stop or find the link in the show notes to get started with your free trial. Okay, let's get to the show. Awesome. Mark Denny, it's so great to finally get you on the show, man. Oh, it's amazing to be here. I really do. Uh, I appreciate the invite. I've uh, definitely listened to your show many, many, many times over the years, and it, uh, it's quite an honor to uh, to be on your show. So I do appreciate the invite. Oh, of course, man. I um, really appreciate kind of your, your, your story actually is very intriguing to me, but also I kind of, I feel like your approach to everything is super chill and laid back and, you know, very... I don't know, non-assuming and, and I like that. Yeah. I, it's, I, I, what's so funny is I, I, in, in my mind, I feel like I'm a nervous wreck all the time and I'm always, <laughs> I'm always, I, I worry about everything. And when I, when I'm not worried about something then I'm worried about that, like, why am I not worrying about that? What's going on? And I'm always just like this, this ball of energy between my ears, but people on the outside are like, Oh, you're so relaxed, Mark. And you're so chill. And then I'm thinking to myself, Oh my God, if you're they like, only you have was, no idea yeah, if you knew what was happening between my ears right now. <laughs> But I think I control it pretty well. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you got me fooled. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big charade. All right. Well, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So for people that um, that aren't familiar with you, I'd love to, you know, let's let's get to know Mark Denny. Who are you and, and what started you down this photographic journey? Ah, who am I? That's a that's a good question. It's uh, something I'm I'm still trying to figure out myself. But uh, <laughs> at, a, at a high level, you know, um, I'm... Uh, North Carolina resident. Uh, I'm married. I got two teenagers. I, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of in and out of photography throughout my entire life. I didn't go to school for anything related to the arts or anything like that. But what's interesting is that my, my grandmother, when I, when I grew up in South Florida, she worked at Kmart. Do you remember Kmart's? Of course. Blue yeah. Light Special, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the original Walmart and she worked in the jewelry and the, the, uh, the camera department. And every once in a while I, I'd go there to see her. And I was always so fixated by the actual cameras, not by photography. I didn't care. I could care less about photography at the time, but I thought the cameras were really cool. So I've always been this kind of techie, nerdy guy. I love like retro technology and really anything that's techie. But I was always fascinated with cameras themselves. So I always had a camera with me, but I not with me, but I, I owned a camera mm -hmm. throughout my entire life and very rarely ever used them. But I just, I just thought the technology of it was really cool. But it wasn't until probably seven or eight years ago that I kind of picked up a camera again and started to kind of focus on it a little bit more. And then about a year after that was when I kind of started to gravitate more towards landscape photography and mm -hmm. outdoor photography. And then much like, you know, you, you know, once you, once the bug kind of gets you, it's, you, you become addicted to it. And for the first probably four or five years after that, I, I mean, I, I, I lived and breathed and, and ate photography. I mean, I was just completely obsessed with it and just reading and watching and trying to, to get as good at it as, as I possibly could. And I'm um, very fortunate to, uh, to have taken me to this point right now to where I'm uh, on your podcast talking to you. 
So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's always cool uh, seeing seeing individuals, you know, that get so into it that within a very short amount of time, it completely takes over their life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I hear people share stories about it all the time. And it, it's the greatest feeling in the world, too. I mean, I remember going to bed thinking about photography. And right when my eyes open, I'm thinking about photography. You almost feel like a little kid again. Yeah. But it's ex- It's exciting. It is. And it, yeah. it, and it was something that was absent from my life for so long was that um, kind of that that hobby or that thing to to really get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you found that uh, other things that you used to be super into are kind of taking the backseat? <laughs> you know what's so funny is that I, I honestly I did, I don't I can't even recall having like a hobby. Okay. Or okay. I mean, I, I'm I'm an avid sports watcher. I love college football. Yeah, I went yeah. To the University of Georgia, so I'm a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. But that's not really a hobby. That's kind of like an interest, right? But um, you know, I've always been into you know exercising and running and those kind of things. But I never had a, a hobby that I not nothing like photography was. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, I was yeah. thinking about sports myself because. You know, I used to be hardcore into the NFL and now it's like, yeah, I watch it and stuff, but it, you know, I'm not spending like every single Sunday obsessing about it. Yeah. And that's, what's hard too, is because it, it's hard to carve out, you know, three or four hours on a weekend to watch yeah. a sporting event. <laughs> right. You're like, Oh, I could be out taking photos instead. Yeah. I'll I could, I could think that. of a, yeah, a million things I could be doing right now, but uh, it, yeah, I, I still love college football for sure, but it gets hard to, to dedicate as much time as you could when you were, you know, in your 20s. <laughs> to- totally. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the transition you recently make from from nine to five, you know, corporate world to the now 24-7 photo career. I'm curious, you know, what, what was your previous um, corporate career and and what was the impetus for your transition uh, that's a great question so I was uh, I was a financial marketing consultant and uh, for the deluxe corporation and um, which is uh, I, I, I was there for 17 years and absolutely fantastic company I've, I've still connected with many of the people I worked with and created amazing relationships with them and I learned a ton and I wouldn't take any of it back but you know, when you once you've done something for that long, it just kind of gets a little mundane, to, to, to <laughs> put it lightly. But you know, I don't know. I think around year fifteen was when I I really started to kind of get get burned out on it, and I really felt that I was just working for money, mm-hmm. which I think so many people are doing out there. And it just got to a point where I. I felt like my life was just evaporating in front of me. I remember I turned 40 years old and I was scratching my head and I'm like, how did this happen? You know, I, I went, I graduated from college and I immediately got this job and I stayed there for 17 years. Right. And I'm looking back, I'm like, that was 17 years. That, how did that, it just evaporated. It went by so fast. And I just started to think, I was like, before I know it, I'm going to blink my eyes again. And another 17 years are going to go by. And it just kind of started to, to really kind of get me thinking about what it would be like to do something that I was really passionate about and not work just for money. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I started to think about. And, and by this time, when I'm, when I'm starting to think about this is also the time that I'm really starting to get serious with photography. And I think one kind of pushed the other in that mm-hmm. scenario. Sure. But I started to think, I was like, you know, what? it would be so nice to be a full-time photographer. And spend all my days behind the camera and out in the woods taking photos, and that was kind of the what I thought it would be like in the very beginning. <laughs> right? <It's laughs> yeah, I'd be traveling around the world and I'd be taking photos. It would be, it would just be, it would be paradise, and it, and it is paradise, but it's a little bit different from what I originally anticipated. But it just got to a point to where I, I just started to get a little bit burned out, and thankfully for me, much like so many big corporations do, they started to do. There was hints of uh, restructure. Mm-hmm. that could possibly happen. And my position was one of the positions that was going to be restructured. So the timing worked out really well. And I remember talking to my wife, I was like, Hey, I have a feeling that I'm going to be selected for this. Do you think I should try and, you know, make a, like a run at becoming a full-time photographer? And she was totally on board. So the stars really aligned for me there. And I gave myself a 12 month runway is what I called it for this experiment. And I said, I'm going to give it everything I have for 12 months. And if I don't see any kind of real traction, 
then I'll just kind of polish up my resume and go get another corporate job. But at least I could live with myself saying that at least I tried that. But my biggest fear was that I was going to be 75 years old going, God, Mark, you never even gave it a shot to Mm -hmm. try and become a full-time photographer, to try and do something you're really passionate about. So it was more or less to not live with that regret. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the impetus of it all that really kind of pushed me over. And then after the first 12 months, I saw enough momentum to, to keep going. And I said, okay, we'll do another 12 months. And uh, thankfully, I'm knocking on wood right now, everything uh, continues to move in the, in, the, in the appropriate direction, I should say. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I feel like that's kind of the dream that a lot of people have. But there's so many barriers, some of which are real and some of which are imaginary, that, that we kind of put up in our minds that prevent us from from you know, making that type of decision. I'm curious, what were some of the major hurdles that you had to overcome to transition into full-time photography? You know, one of the, well, I've learned so much. I I think I have learned more in the last two and a half years than I have probably learned in the last 20 years. And one of the biggest things is that, you know, we all, and we've all heard if you, how's the saying go? If you, if you do something you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Right. And I've always heard that. It's always stuck in my mind. And it's true. But I think there is a big caveat, a big earmark associated with that. And it's something that I never anticipated. And it's the fact that, at least for me, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but the way that my mind is programmed, if I'm really passionate about something, I can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm always on. And it's something that is a little bit of a struggle for me because when I was in the corporate world, Monday through Friday, that was it. When Friday at 5 p.m. 5 p.m. came, my brain shut off. I did not think about that corporate job again until Monday at all. But now with this, there is no off time. I mean, I'm always, always thinking about everything. And it's really hard to kind of disconnect from that. And I've talked to other people, not just photographers, but other people that have their their own business or doing something that they're very mm-hmm. passionate about. And it's a it's a common struggle. So I think that there is kind of a it is a little bit of a double-edged sword. Yes, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life, but you'll you'll also never have a moment where you're completely free from thinking or wondering or pondering something associated with it. So it's there I guess there's struggles everywhere. Yeah, it's almost like it becomes a bit of an obsession. Yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. And even when you're on like a a family vacation, it's so so difficult to just turn <laughs> off and it's I often long for those days in the corporate world where Friday, 5 p.m. would come and you go to happy hour with your coworkers without a care in the world. (laughs) But now I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I've got a video to make or a script to write or this or that. And it's it's a good problem to have, though. What uh, what concerns do you have around burnout? Um, You know, I I, I don't I don't really think I have any concerns about it, but Mm -hmm. it's something that I think is always there. And even before I. went full time with my photography, I was always kind of very cognizant and aware of burnout, mm-hmm. mainly because my personality type, I, I go for things and I, and I go for it 110%. I'm not a, a one toe in the water guy. Like if I'm, if I'm going to do something, I'll jump all in the water. So it's really easy for me to get burned out on things. So I'm always aware of that, but I think I'm pretty good at kind of keeping that in check just by really kind of shaking things up. So when I feel like I'm starting to get burnt out, I try and kind of shift things a little bit, kind of pivot to something that's not a stark departure from what I normally do, but just something to kind of spice it up a little bit, a little bit of a transition, if you will. Sure. And that seems to be enough to kind of uh, kind of cleanse my palate, if you will, to uh, kind of, you know, push forward. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I'm curious, what are, what are some other hurdles that you had to overcome? I mean, it, it sounds like, I mean, the, the ones that come to my mind that I would have to overcome would be like, you know, financial stability and, yeah. you know, reconciling the amount of time you have to spend away from your family and things like that. Right. Yeah. That was, I, you know, I spent the, well, my, my plan when I, when I all this started was to, for the first six months, try and identify as many revenue streams that I could, I possibly could. And I think I came up with like maybe 12 different revenue streams that an outdoor photographer could go after. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue what would actually work. 
So I spent the first six or maybe even eight months going after all of these revenue streams from tourism boards to, you know, selling prints and the list just goes on and on and on. And I was working, you know, 12 to 16 hour days, seven days a week, month after month, just trying to figure out what would work for me and what wouldn't work for me. Because I think everyone's different. You know, what works for Matt might not work for me and what works for me might not work for you. Sure. So I think everyone has got to, you know, the only way to figure out what's going to work is to go after it. So I knew that I was going to fail at the majority of those probably, but in this experiment, I knew that if I could just find out the five or six revenue streams that worked for me, then that would be enough to kind of move forward. So the first six or eight months were, were really hard, just trying to figure out what didn't work so I could stop focusing on that and then focus on what would work for me. How did you, how did you know when something was going to work versus not? Because I feel like in a lot of those examples you gave, whether it be print sales or whatever, there's a there's a certain amount of time it takes in order to, you know, you, there's a lot of failure, but then eventually it does pay off, but it's hard to know you know, when it's going to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I basically measured it off of the amount of revenue I made so far and the amount of traction I felt was being made or was being created. So things like tourism boards. So I, this was part of my dream. Like when I, when I first envisioned being a, a professional outdoor uh, photographer, I had dreams of, you know, like the Icelandic tourism board or the Faroe Islands tourism board flying me over there and putting me up in five-star hotels and paying for everything <laughs> just so I would create content for them. And I'd have like my photos plastered on the side of airplanes and stuff flying over there. It was this whole crazy dream. <laughs> but so I, I reached out to tourism boards, not only locally, but all over the country, all over the world. And you know how many callbacks I got? I'm guessing zero. very few. If, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Zero. I didn't, I never got a callback from anybody. Huh. Now I, I know plenty of uh, photographers that that's their 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 uh, largest revenue stream is working for tourism boards, but it was just something that, that didn't work out for me. So I immediately was able to kind of mark that off the list. Like this, there's no traction here. Obviously, right. there's no revenue. No one even calls me back. But what's interesting now is now I'm actually getting. I, I've been contacted by the state of North Carolina a couple times. So I might do something for their tourism board. So now it's kind of starting to to maybe build up a little bit. But in the beginning, I just couldn't dedicate any more time to it. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, print that- sales, you know, I, I sold very few prints in the beginning and I still don't sell a whole lot, but I enjoy doing prints. So sure. I kind of stuck with that. And I, and I also kind of felt like if you're going to be a photographer, you got to sell at least a few prints, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's interesting. I actually recently had somebody on the show who was like, I don't want to sell any of my prints, but I, I totally, I totally am with you on that. Like it's, I don't know, to me, that's almost like the ultimate test of your, of your process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's super fulfilling and rewarding. And honestly, I think it makes you, at least it made me and continues to make me uh, a better photographer because there's something about seeing your, or holding your photo of the physical yeah. copy and you, you just look at it differently and you look at it with a different, um, you know, lens, if you will, on your eyes than you do when you look at something on a computer screen. So, well, yeah, I mean, and it, it reveals all of the mistakes you made in the field or in post-processing and, oh, it, absolutely. you know, it's, it's like the ultimate, um, process improvement tool. <laughs> oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Cause like sometimes I, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, like clone an imperfection out of a photo or something. I'm like, oh, it's just going to go on Instagram. Nobody will notice it. Doesn't matter how, how clean it looks, but you can't get anything by a print. It'll show up. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that doesn't look good. And you're like, ooh, look at that. <laughs> Not have done that in Lightroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. Well, so I know one of the biggest um, parts of your success has been uh, the use of YouTube. So I'm curious you know, what role has YouTube played in your success? And, and, you know, what advice would you have for other people that are wishing to leverage that particular platform? YouTube was um, absolutely instrumental for me. I can't, I can't uh, overstate it enough. It's, um, it was something that I never even knew that I would enjoy doing. Um, And what's so funny is it actually started with a GoPro and I would, I would make family videos of our trips so back in uh, maybe 2017, I started a YouTube channel, a separate YouTube channel than I have now. 
and it was just for my family. And every time we would go on trip, I would make these, uh, these elaborate videos with my GoPro. And I annoyed the heck out of my family because I, <laughs> I recorded everything. I, I would suction cup GoPros to the side of, uh, of, of our car and point it at the wheel and drive down the highway for this, like the, those three seconds of B-roll of our <laughs> wheel spinning to tell the story. So I like, I went all out on these videos, but that kind of started the whole, the whole YouTube thing for me. And it just grew from there. And, and, and I really do enjoy this, the, the overall process of making videos and the interaction with everybody. But, but YouTube was, was huge for me. And I, I don't think I could uh, have done it without it. What would you say makes a successful YouTube plat- uh, channel? Like, cause I hear you talking about B-roll with a little bit of excitement. And I know for a lot of people that do, videos it's like oh i gotta make some b-roll so it's interesting like it sounds like you actually really like some of that stuff but i'm curious what you've seen that actually has made your success happen you know i i guess there's i look at youtube kind of at least for my own channel i have videos that i make in my office Mm -hmm. and then i have videos that i make on location and i enjoy i enjoy them both differently but when I'm when I'm on location, to me that that almost feels like it's my off time. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this kind of work in the office all week, but then when I finally get to go out and and shoot, that kind of feels like that that's my happy hour for me. So if I have to record that or make a video out of that, that kind of takes a little bit of that joy away. Mm-hmm. Plus, it also makes that outing more about the video than it is about the photography. Sure. And I think that's a really, really difficult balance because it's almost impossible, in my opinion, to focus on video and focus on the photography at the, with the same, I guess, rigor. No, I, I, but, I, I totally agree, especially if the conditions are good and you know you don't want to miss out on something that's going on in the scene. And I've, I've tried to do both well. And what I found works for me is you know the video comes second and you do it more as a like beforehand or afterwards kind of a thing but like during the moment that you're trying to shoot it's man it's it's hard to focus on both oh it is it's so hard you almost have to just make a decision is this gonna am i gonna focus on the photo or the video and for me it's always the photo that's always what's gonna come uh number one to me but I guess where I was going with that, it, it kind of takes a little bit of the enjoyment away from the actual experience when I'm setting up second tripods and getting different B-roll shots, because then it's just like kind of work. But when I go out on a, on a shoot and I have no intention of creating a video out of it, that's kind of where I'm at, at total peace. That's that, 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 that Zen mode, if you will, where it's just so relaxing to me. But as soon as I have to make a video out of it, then it kind of comes all the pressure of, of work. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't even know why I went on that tangent. No, um, you're good. You're good. You're good. Oh, what makes a successful YouTube channel? That's that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know. I think uh, I think being genuine and not trying to hide who you are or trying to kind of be somebody else, I guess. I think that's what makes a successful YouTube channel because some of the, the YouTube channels that I watch that are not even photography related – are, are, are people that are, they just, they just seem very real. And most of these people I've never spoken to, yep. but they just come across extremely genuine. They're not trying to hide anything. They, they, they are, are proud to show off their, their quirks or their oddities, or maybe they're weird and they're happy with that. And it just seems really real. And to me, I think that that uh, is something that I gravitate towards. So those are kind of the YouTube channels that, uh, that I enjoy when people are just kind of being really real about things. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I talk a lot with other photographers about, you know, what types of YouTube channels they like watching. And, you know, it's interesting to hear what people say. And especially in the United Kingdom, I feel like it seems like everyone who owns a DSLR also has a YouTube channel and has right. a huge following, even if they don't even know how to take a photograph. <laughs> it's like, um, and I don't mean that like, you know, negatively. It's just, um, I guess what I've noticed is a lot of YouTube seems to be less about the quality of the photography content and more about like the cult of personality and the consistency and the delivery of the videos. Um is that something that that you've noticed as well, or 
Yeah, I think I think it definitely has to have a balance. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think that I think YouTube is such an interesting platform where you 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 almost have to be. I don't want to say entertaining because I don't find myself entertaining at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there has to be something that draws people to you or like the, the, the channels that I watch, there, there has to be something there that keeps me coming back. Right. So there, there definitely has to be that kind of entertainment value a little bit. But I, I think that there's two reasons why people go on YouTube. You know, back in the day when YouTube started, the only reason people that went on YouTube was it was, it was just for entertainment purposes. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. But over the years, it's become like this massive online university that's giving right. away free tuition. I mean, you can learn anything on YouTube. So now it's about entertainment and education. And I, I'm the type of guy, I look up everything on YouTube, you know, how to fix your garbage disposal, how to install a garbage disposal, how to change the oil in your car. <laughs> totally. Everything is on YouTube. So I think you have to strike a good balance of having, you know, providing some type of educational content at the same time, not being boring to watch either. So, yeah, I think there's definitely has to be a good balance there. What are, uh, what are some of your favorite photography YouTube channels? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> off the top of my head here. You know, like, Those are my competitors. <laughs> no, no, no. I definitely don't even look at things like that at all. I, I come from a, my wife's a yoga teacher. So uh -huh. she always fills my, my brain with all these great little uh, sayings and innuendos. But one of my favorite ones is that uh, um, the, the world is full of abundance. And basically what that means, at least what it means to me is that, you know, Matt Payne's success in photography in no way reduces the amount of success that Mark Denny could possibly have in photography. So even though we're both photographers and we're both photographing the same planet, we're not in competition with one another. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's, um, you know, of late, there's been several people that are like, hey, by the way, I'm starting my own podcast and I hope you don't. I hope that doesn't bother you or like they're like almost like they're asking me for permission. And I'm like, no way, man, like more the merrier. Like this is awesome. You know? Yeah. It's I was about to say the, the more the merrier because there's only one Matt Payne's podcast out there. Right. You know, there's <laughs> so, I mean, there could be a million other ones and there are a million other ones, uh, but yeah, it doesn't take away from, from your success. But, you know, I, I, I watched, you know, Thomas Heaton's, I, I love Gavin Hardcastle, of course, Nick Page, the, 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 the big guys out there, Adam Gibbs. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to get to talk to those guys from time to time. And they're all super cool guys, super supportive, as, as, as nice as they can possibly be. But I'm trying to think of some of the, the, the lesser known channels that uh, I, I listen to. Uh, Pereira Photography, uh, Mike and Chris Pereira's husband and wife. I think they're based out of Arizona. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Arizona. Uh -huh. um, are you familiar with them? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think yeah. um, follow them on Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Just super cool people. Really, really nice. Great photographers. But uh, I, I think the YouTube community is uh, is is very is, – is supportive of, of other YouTube channels. And I, I know I've met a ton of other um, people just through YouTube and just because, you know, we both have an outdoor photography channel. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's, what's your approach to, uh, to dealing with negative comments? You know, it doesn't really, I, I'm trying to think if I really even have a, an approach. I, I don't even think I do. I think I just ignore it. Yeah. Honestly, I, um, I don't want to say I have thick skin because I don't, I, um, I feel like I'm a sensitive person, but <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm just pretty good at just kind of blocking things out. And it, it's so obvious when someone is just trying to elicit a response from you right. versus someone who's got a legitimate issue with what you're saying. And if it's the latter, I think it's fantastic because I'm not right all the time. You know, nobody is. Sure. So if there's a, a different stance or a different opinion that somebody has, I mean, I'm all for it. But when people are just out there wanting to heckle you, yeah, I just kind of dismiss it and just move on. Yeah, it drives me crazy when um, people have, you know, like a pseudonym. They don't even use their real name. And then they're making all of these like outlandish comments about you or someone you know. And it's like, why can't you just man up and use your real name and maybe send me an email? <laughs> like, right. let's have a conversation about this. It's it's very interesting how yeah. people use that anonymity to, uh, 
to shield them from any accountability. Right. I don't know who said this quote. I heard it somewhere, but it's um, if you if you try and make everybody happy, you'll make no one happy. One hundred percent weird, but I, it's so true. You, you you just can't focus on making everybody happy. It's just no, it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, I've learned that through my podcast. I've yeah, you know, sure. I've definitely pissed some people off over the years, but at the same time, it's like the thing that I pissed some people off about made a bunch of other people really happy. So it's you know. Yeah, for the way I look at it, for every one person that you irritated, there's probably a thousand other people that you put a smile on their face. So yeah. at the end of the day, that's a win. Agree, agree. Well, cool. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit away from YouTube and talk a little bit about your your photography and and you know what you love to photograph. So, you know what are what are some of your favorite aspects of landscape and nature photography? You know, definitely the the speed of landscape photography, I find extremely appealing. Um, I know I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a nervous guy. I'm an anxious guy. I, I, I always have this kind of like raging fire going on in my <laughs> head. And it's one of the reasons why I really gravitated towards outdoor photography is because it is so slow and you do have to be so patient and it takes a very methodical and peaceful approach, in my opinion. Sure. And it really... You know, I've spoken about this many times, but there's, and, and, I, and I know that you've experienced this too, where you get to a location, you get there early, you, you find a composition you love, you get everything set up, but you're still, you know, an hour away from the good light and you have nothing to do, but just sit there and just wait. And that right there is like, is the most powerful thing in the world to me because you, it, it, it almost makes you like a, a captive audience within yourself. There's nowhere to go. More than likely, you don't have cell signal wherever you are. So you can't sit there on Facebook or Twitter and you just relax. You're out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, surrounded by beauty. And it's just, it's so peaceful and it, it's, it's very therapeutic and, and mentally healthy as well. But that's what really drew me towards, uh, towards outdoor photography. Yeah. Since I have, Pretty much every trip I ever go on, I've had moments like that. And that's the perfect time to crack open a beer and just take yeah. it all in. Yes, yeah, just soak <laughs> it all in. And what's so interesting is that, at least I, I know me, and once again, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but if it wasn't for photography, I would never find myself by myself on the side of a cliff somewhere in the middle of nowhere, just sitting there ever. Right. Now, I mean, so it's, a, it's an awesome catalyst to get you outside. Oh, hundred percent. And it's a, it's an amazing catalyst to just kind of slow down and just be with yourself. Yeah. Because I think that, uh, I think it's something that a lot of people are, are missing because we're all so busy with our day-to-day -day lives and we all kind of stop. We, we, we forget to stop and just be with ourselves. Mm. And it's such a weird thing to think about, but it's so powerful just, just to be with yourself in, in the moment. And that's Bye. something that photography created for me. Yeah, that resonates a lot with me. I'm I'm curious, how have you seen your transition away from the corporate world and, and spending more time in nature? How has that impacted your your mental health? How has that impacted your outlook um, in the world? You know, how, how has it how has it changed you as a person? Um, you know, photography gave me that outlet to go out there into nature and to you know kind of be with myself, be with nature. And, and slow down. But on the flip side, photography also kind of created this um, obsession, if you will. You know, yeah. we, we spoke about it earlier to where I, I can't stop thinking about, you know, the next trip or the next photo or the next YouTube video or the next whatever it is. And it's, it's, it's good to be so excited about your passion, but at the same time, it can be a struggle a little bit. But I think from a mental health perspective, as crazy as my Monday through Fridays are, and I still live in that same corporate structure. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. I, I still work <laughs> like like seven to seven Monday through Friday. Okay. So, um, but but knowing now that I can, you know, I, I can jump over to the Blue Ridge Mountains on Saturday for you know a, a, a two day trip to photograph waterfalls. That has given me something to look forward to. And as crazy as my Monday through Friday might be, knowing that that, that is coming up really helps my mental health. And then when I, as soon as I, I head west, it's just uh, kind of everything just kind of washes away. And it's such an amazing feeling. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Has your 
commitment to photography as a, a full-time um, affair, has that changed the way that you approach photography in general in terms of, you know, being more patient with uh, locations and with uh, conditions? Like, how has it changed the way you approach it? Uh, that's a great question. You know, and I really have didn't start to notice this until I started to um, lead workshops. Hmm. So I remember back in, I think 2017, I, I took, I took a workshop. I went to the out of Acadia. So I was an, an attendee mm-hmm. and I remember, you know, th- those, th- you know, workshops, they're not cheap, you know, and then you got flights and hotels. So you're, you're going to invest, you know, yep. three, four, maybe $5,000. And you took a week off from work. And I remember there being so much pressure to create a photograph. And I remember being on the excursions with whoever happened to be leading that excursion. And I felt a lot of pressure because Mm. I wasn't a full-time photographer. Who knew when I would get to do this again? At the time, it felt like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Right. So now that I do this as a living, this is my career, that pressure is gone a little bit because I know that, oh, I'll be at this location again whenever I want to. I can just go back. Or I know I'll be out shooting again in a week, but I can totally, and I, and I see this in other attendees as well. And I can, that, that pressure completely resonates with me. And I don't even know how to help people kind of manage that pressure because it makes total sense to me. I could, mm-hmm. I, I could completely relate to that, but yeah, I definitely, I don't want to say I'm more patient because I think I'm an, a naturally patient person. But I, I think that that pressure has just kind of gone away a little bit. I still put a ton of pressure on myself with everything I do, but not quite as much when I'm on location. So mm-hmm. like if the conditions are horrible, I probably won't even take a photo. I probably won't even get my camera out of the bag. But back in the day, if I was on a workshop and the conditions were awful, it didn't matter. I was still out there trying to make something because yeah. it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, that's interesting. I... Um... I taught it out of Yosemite last year, and I got the privilege of teaching at um, Tunnel View like three days in a row. <laughs> oh. And of course, which is an amazing place. Sure. However, there was zero clouds. You know, it was there's no none of that glorious fog down in the down in the valley. valley. None of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, you know, I was like, hey, you know, there's some really other really interesting things we could be photographing here. And, you know, you could see a lot of the people that were there, like, I have to get this photograph. I don't care if the conditions are bad. I have to take this photo. And it's like, okay, I, I can totally appreciate that based on like what you're describing. You know, it's like, I might never get the chance to do this again and I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand the pressure and I, I, I've been there. I can, I, I have a lot of compassion for that situation, but, and I see it all the time. But, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is to that because not everybody is fortunate to be able to do that or to, to do, you know, outdoor photography as a career. So for a lot of people, it might be a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to tunnel view with, with Matt Payne. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. yeah, And those, those pressures are all self-imposed. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we, we have control over whether or not we react to those pressures or not and how we react to them. And I think, you know, that's where, you know, the experience and time spent in the field can help you appreciate, you know, it's okay if I don't make a photograph today, or maybe I don't have to get the same photograph that somebody else already has with better conditions. Like maybe look for something that's more personal or speaks to me differently, but yeah, I can appreciate that influence of pressure for sure because it used to hit me pretty hard too. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned, uh, you know, it, it's all about the the reps, the repetition. You yes. know, the, the the more the more times you're out there shooting, the less that pressure will be, and over time, it'll gradually subside. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the more times you you go to a place and get skunked like that and realize that. You have, you're powerless to, you know, like you can either complain and, and, and let that pressure get to you, or you can shift your mentality and try something else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's where I ended up landing eventually, but yeah, it took, I don't know, like eight years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It took, a, it, it, it takes a while. It yeah. definitely does. Yeah. 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 
Well, you, you, you talked a little bit about uh, teaching, teaching workshops earlier. I'm curious, what is it about uh, teaching photography to others that, that you enjoy? You know, it's for me, it's kind of seeing that that aha moment. And, and I talk about the, the the proverbial aha moment on my YouTube channel quite a bit, mainly because uh, I experienced it myself when I would go to workshops is when the instructor would would teach you something or show you something that was so simple with your camera. But it's something that you've been like longing for. It's a type of a technique that you've wanted to do. And then when they show it to you and that light bulb clicks, you're just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> But, but being able to create that experience for other people is everything to me. You know, I've seen people, you know, shed tears because they capture a photograph and then they look at it on the back of the, the, their LCD and it's just something that they, they never in a million years thought they would be able to capture, whether it's just showing motion and moving water or it's showing, a, you know, a sun star coming off of the, the, the peak of El Capitan, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but seeing that they're their experience and their joy when they, when they, when they get something like that is, is everything to me. It's the best part. Yeah. It's very intoxicating. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I had a, I had a moment like that actually at tunnel view, (laughs) like we were just talking about this tunnel view. Yeah. (laughs) I was, um, I was teaching there and, um, I was trying to show one of our, a couple of our students, you know, Hey, instead of using a wide angle, on this scene, why don't you use a telephoto lens and then you can do a panorama and you can, you know, compress the scene and get a lot more detail. And they were like, what? And then I showed them like, oh my gosh, that's, I've, I would have never thought to do that. And then I think one of them said something like that right there was worth this entire trip. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, I've got that. okay. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that same line. People say, you know, that one thing you taught me, that's worth the entire trip. And that right there, I mean, that's everything. Yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. But I, and what's so funny is, you know, and I get questions all the time, like, you know, how long have you been teaching Mark or, or, or how did you know you love teaching? And honestly, I, I never did ever until the last two years. Hmm. And I've never taught anything in my entire life. I've never done any kind of public speaking or nothing. But just recently in the last two, two and a half years, I have absolutely found a, a, the biggest joy in the world from just teaching other people to, to you know, capture the beauty that surrounds us all. And it's, uh, it's highly intoxicating and very addicting as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, you know, with all that in mind, I'm curious, what are some of your future goals with your photography and, and your career? You know, I want to continue, you know, travel as much as I possibly can. You know, unfortunately, my kids are at a stage where they're going to be leaving the home soon. I have a uh, a freshman in college, my son Noah, and uh, my daughter Ireland, she's going to be a senior in high school next year. So I only have maybe two years left with them being at home. So I'm going to try and and, and stay near the home in those two years as much as I possibly can. But then once they head off to college, I definitely want to uh, to, to get out with the, the van a little bit and uh, start traveling around a little bit more and explore areas of the of the U.S. that I, I haven't explored um, uh, ever really or nearly enough. I think that um, I think there's there's so much you know amazing locations right here in the U.S. to where I'm looking forward to just exploring as much as I possibly can and just trying to get better. You know, I think that's that's one of the things that I find. So, and I'm going to use your word again, intoxicating. I I think that's a perfect (laughs) word about photography is that you, you can't master it. You know, you can't perfect it and you, the more you do it, you can only get better and there's always things to improve upon. So just trying to, to get better myself just constantly. Mm. So those are really my goals. And of course, you know, grow the, the YouTube channel and I, and I want to do more workshops you know, I've, I've, I've done a, a few workshops already, but I definitely want to do more. I've got a lot more in the plans uh, coming up this year and next year. And it's something I, uh, I really, really enjoy doing. So I want to, to make room for that. Yeah, I love what you said about there being so many places to photograph here in the United States. I mean, I feel like I could probably quit my job and spend seven straight years every single week down in like Utah and Arizona and not run out of things to photograph. Oh yeah. Easy, easily. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, I, th- I honestly could photograph America the rest of my life. That'd be same. fine. Yeah, yeah I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I almost. I mean, as much as I would love to go to like the Faroes or you know South America or even you know parts of Europe, um, I, I don't know. I, I I feel pretty happy with what we have here in our backyard. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that the you know there there there's just there's such an abundance of beauty all over this the the, the earth where I don't think you can go wrong. You really no, can't. No. <laughs> but but being you know where we're at and being able to drive and you know it might be a 30 or 40 hour drive but you have the ability to drive everywhere in the US yeah it's, it's pretty amazing it's, yeah it's super super uh, uh, intoxicating Matt and Mark are drink drinking up nature yeah absolutely <laughs> Cool. So you mentioned um, earlier that uh, you wanted to invest a lot of effort into improving uh, your photography. I'm curious, in your mind, what does that look like? Well, what what types of things would lead to an improvement in your images? So for me, you know, I'm always trying to get better at uh, at post processing, and I'm always trying to, you know, I guess create a a creative style, but you know, creative style is one of those things. I, I don't think you can really find your creative style. I think your creative style finds you over time. Mm-hmm. So in, in much like, you know, photography, it's all about the reps. It's all about repetition. The more photos you edit, the more you have, the, the greater the likelihood you'll start to develop a trend over time. And I think one of the most powerful things in the world is if I can look at a photograph and immediately know whose photo that is. Just That's based pretty on- fun, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And that's something that I want. I want people to uh, one day be able to look at my photograph and be like, oh, that, that's one of, that's, that's got to be a Mark Denny photo. You know, I'm nowhere even close to that yet. But I'm trying to, you know, always improve my post processing to try and figure out, you know, how to make those edits as smooth as possible because that, that's what I really enjoy. I kind of like a almost a filmic style of edit, you know, without really, really deep blacks, almost faded blacks in the photo. Hmm. It has just a really, really soft edit to it, but that's still very powerful and punchy at the same time. So I'm always, always researching and trying to, to learn ways to improve my own post processing. And then with just composition in general, you know, once again, I think composition, much like all of photography, you you can't master it and you can only get better and better. But just trying to kind of get outside of the types of compositions I might normally go for, you know, with maybe a strong foreground, you know, object or that forced perspective type of a composition and just trying to, you know, use a long lens and pick off, you know, distant details in the landscape. Mm-hmm. So just always trying to improve just overall composition and just on location techniques in general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, pretty much the, in, in the entire gamut. I don't think I have uh, even scratched the surface of even being, how do I say it? Even being close to mastering any com- component of photography at all. I think I have so much room to improve. Yeah, no, I, that's one of the things I love about photography and also hate is like, you never feel like you've figured it out yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was talking to my friend Kane about this cause he's been shooting longer than I have. And I think he's a better post processor than I am as well. But you know, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done trying to look, get better at processing. I'm, I'm happy with where it's at and could it be better? Sure. But I want to focus more on just the experiences and, and just, you know, finding new and interesting things that um, interest me in the field. And I, I there's kind of um something, I don't know, relaxing about that approach. It's like, yeah, I think I'm good on that part. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it that much better. And that's okay. Oh, I think that's a beautiful approach. I I always think that, you know, for me, photography is not all about the photo at all. It's all about the, all the things that happen leading up to the photograph. Yeah. That's what, so, because, you know, like I can look just like you, I'm sure you can look at any of your photos and it'll immediately evoke so many emotions and memories of you planning that trip, you traveling to that location while you're at the location, capturing it, hiking back, Right. You know, Campfire camp you had with friends afterwards. or Yeah, exactly. What you guys were talking about, you know, and, and, 
it's almost like a photograph is kind of like this this mini time capsule, if you will, that kind of stores all your memories of that of everything that transpired to create it. Almost like the photo is really just a trophy of time spent at a certain location. Yeah, and I no, think I, that, I like there, that yeah, there's something super powerful with that as well. But no, I, your friend's approach is awesome. I love it. It's yeah, I'm I'm happy where I'm at. I'm just gonna go out and have a good time. Yeah. I- yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't think I I could say that myself because there's still improvement to be had. But I think at some point you kind of have to just be okay with some things and just, you know, focus on the things that you know you can actually move the needle on. Right. Exactly. You know? yep. Like I know I'm never going to be like the world's best um, person at color work, but, you know, probably probably worth investing more time in, you know, learning different approaches for maybe right. composition or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And what's, what's so interesting, like, I'm always thinking about this in my mind that I think that I am absolutely a hundred percent a better photographer right now than I was at the beginning of the year. And in, and in six months from now, I'll absolutely be a better photographer then than I am right now. So just that, that just knowing that there's really no way to regress. I don't know how you could get worse at photography. I guess mm. it could be possible, but yeah. if, you're, if you're out there and you got your camera in your hands and you're pointing it at pretty things out there in, in the world, you're going to get better at it. There's just, it's just repetitions and practice. Yeah. So just knowing that you're always improving, that's also very exciting. Yeah, for sure. And knowing like there's really no, you're never going to be done. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> cool, man. Well, let's, uh, I want to talk about this van you're working on because I, that that's something I'm, I'm very interested in myself. I, I spent a lot of time during um, COVID times here putting a lot of work into my Toyota 4Runner and, and so I can oh, appreciate nice. uh, what you're doing. So what gave you the idea to, to work on your van? And, and I'm curious what benefits uh, does having a rig like that have for you as a photographer? You know, I was... Um much like a, a lot of photographers do, you know, you do a lot of car camping. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I had a, a four door F one fifty, and, um, I'm tall, you know, I'm six foot two and I, and I used to <laughs> put, the, put the seats up in the back and it was nice. I had a little, you know, a little air mattress back there and the sleeping bag, but you know, you, I couldn't even come close to stretching out. It's so, I mean, car camping for me or truck camping was, was a little difficult. And I just always had this dream to uh, kind of not so much like the nomadic lifestyle, but just to be able to just go away for a couple of days and not have to worry about a hotel room, not have to spend money on a hotel room and to be able to stay exactly where I want to shoot the next day. Hmm. That to me was so exciting. So, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, you know, with my kids getting ready to, to both, uh, you know, leave home in the next couple of years, I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to invest in a van and try and build it out myself. And the caveat to all this is the fact that I have no idea how to build anything. And I, <laughs> I've never, never been someone that I would consider a handy guy. Same. But, you know, going back to YouTube, you know, thankfully, there's a free online university at YouTube that teaches you how to build vans, just like everything. So I, I watched tons of van building YouTube channels. And I got all the ideas from various channels and I just kind of, you know, put them into practice. And I have taught myself more about construction and building things and tools I never even heard of over the last six months. And it's been really exciting. It really has just to kind of see something start to come to fruition. It would have been nice to just kind of buy the van and just send it to a professional van builder to have them do, but I had nowhere cl- even close had the amount of funds that uh, was required for that. But it's been a lot of fun building it out. But my, my plan is, and I've already been doing it, I'll take it on trips to the, the Blue Ridge Mountains. I live about two and a half hours away from the Blue mm-hmm. Ridge Parkway. Mm-hmm. And I go, I go over there all the time. I'm, I'm a waterfall junkie. That's my favorite subject to, to photograph is waterfalls, any kind of moving water, really. But just it's so exciting to be able to just kind of load the van up with some groceries and just head out there and park right at the trailhead and sleep. And then it's, you know, wake up and open the door and you're right at the trailhead, make a take a short hike to the waterfall or whatever it is. And it just keeps things very simple. And it's honestly, it's, it's advantageous from a cost perspective as well. Once you get beyond the, the initial, uh, upfront cost of the van, 
I'm, I'm a, I'm a real analytical guy. So I, I actually quantified how many hotel stays are, <laughs> I, how did I do it? Oh, I, I think if I stay in the van, I forgot I should have been more prepared, but I, I broke it down. Like if I, if I stay in the van 187 times <laughs> with an average, you know, hotel stay of X dollars, it will have paid off the van. And based off of what I've been doing in like three years, I will have saved the, the amount of money I spent on the van in absent hotel fees. Hey, I, I, I like that. I'm sure a, a nice little spreadsheet probably helped out too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I presented it to my wife and I said, look, this is what I've come up with. And she's so supportive. She was like, well, you look like you put a lot of work into it, so go for it. Oh, man, your wife makes you do PowerPoint presentations? <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I yeah, think that's yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was super cool. But yeah, it's it. I don't think I'll ever be like, uh, what do they call it, the... Um, like a van life guy. There's no way I could stay in my van for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Yeah. But I think the longest stay I've been in there now is maybe three, three nights straight. Okay. But, um, I, which is fine. That's perfect. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I couldn't stay there super extended time. I have no plans of selling my home or all my possessions and moving into the van or anything like that, but it is very, very convenient to, to take on location. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm about to do 18 days in my Forerunner. Oh wow, Forerunners are great too for car camping as well. Yeah, yeah. it's um, I'm pretty excited about it, but it's definitely going to be the longest trip I've ever done like that. Yeah, 18 days that is long. Now, w- once my van is completed, because there's still some things that keep me from staying in there longer than a few days. Sure, but my plan, at least what I have in my mind is to go somewhere and maybe stay there, stay in the van or live out of the van for maybe five days and then get a hotel room for one night on, on my way to wherever I'm going to go. And then just kind of freshen up, recharge mentally a little bit physically, and then get back in the van and go off for another five days or so. So that's kind of the way I look at it. No, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful approach. What, um, what was your biggest obstacle in, in outfitting the van? Probably the electrical, and um, I'm happy to say that it's completely done, which I'm so proud of because I uh, literally, like last year, my wife wanted to have a dimmer switch installed on a chandelier, and I had to hire a guy. Right. Like I I had no clue how to do anything with electrical. So to be able to install solar panels on the roof and, and wire it to 200 amp hours of batteries and run lights and wiring and, and, and not have electrocuted myself was such a, an accomplishment. And I learned so much about electricity. It's, it's, it was very exciting, but yeah, that was probably the the biggest hurdle and the biggest accomplishment at the same time. I had the same exact thought myself. I, um, I have a second battery under the hood. It's not 200 amp hours, it's 55 amp hours, but, um, it powers my refrigerator. Um, and then I have a portable solar panel that, um, you know, I have hooked up to an MPPT controller that, you know, recharges the second battery. So yeah, I totally can appreciate what you're saying. Cause I also had zero knowledge of electricity and I was very concerned that I was going to electrocute myself. <laughs> yeah. It's so, so scary. And you, and you hear so many horror stories about, it. I was literally petrified when, when the time came that I actually had to, to hook it all up. Oh, but, same. Uh, like the but, first time I hooked the solar panel up, I'm like, please don't explode. Please don't explode. <laughs> like, you know, like you're like, oh. I literally had a fire extinguisher in hand. I told my <laughs> wife and kids, I was like, listen, if, if, if you have anywhere to go, now is the time to leave the house because I think I even texted my mom. I was like, hey, mom, I want to let you know I love you <laughs> and I appreciate everything you did for me. She's like, what's going on? I was like, I'm about to hook up the electricity in the van. She just responded with like the laughing emoji or something. <laughs> But, but yeah, I was scared to death. Yeah, no, I, I, I get. It. I'm always, I'm always afraid. Like, oh, I hope it doesn't, you know, fail when I'm out in the field. But I don't know. It's like having built it yourself. You understand how it works. That's one of the best things. I mean, besides the fact that you, you, you save a ton of money doing oh, it crazy yourself. amount of money. But like, if I paid someone to create my whole van, sure, it, w- it would have been done professional and it would look better. You know, I, I'm not a professional van builder, but. Sure. When something goes wrong, I know exactly. I know everything about my van now versus if you pay someone to do it, you kind of like, hey, you might have to call the guy and be like, hey, when you hook this up, what, what do I do for this? Yeah. So yeah. There's some power in, in understanding all the ins and outs. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Well, awesome, man. So I'm curious, what do you have uh, coming up that you'd like our listeners to know about? Oh, so um, I'm super excited. Actually, this just finalized last night, just a few hours ago. But uh, I'm going to be leading a workshop in Iceland this September wow. with uh, with Siggy William and uh, Dr. Kai Wai Lin from uh, the Nissi Ambassadors. Yeah. So um, very excited about that. And I'm teaching at the, the Out of Acadia conference this, I think it's mid-October. Uh, obviously in Acadia, which is one of my favorite East Coast parks. I love it there. I think I've been there every every fall now for the past three years. So um, really looking forward to to both of those trips. And I've got uh, a couple waterfall workshops that I'm working on for spring of 2022, which all kind of leads into what I was saying earlier about creating more workshops. It's I love doing it. And I, my plan was to to kind of start this last year. But due to obvious reasons, a lot of those plans got postponed. So being able to to see those kind of things start to come to fruition now is is very exciting. So I'm really looking forward to that. Very cool. Yeah. Are you a, a photo photo pro ambassador? Yeah. Yeah. Through? Photo pro. And actually, uh, I just became a, a Nissi ambassador this week as well. So oh, cool. very excited about that. Yeah. I've been using Nissi filter. That actually, Nissi is the only thing that I have been using from the very very beginning. Huh. Right not just yeah that because i i've changed everything at least once but my filters oh yeah well, good good on you yeah cool man well so last question i have is who would you recommend for the podcast ah that's a very good question so there is a gentleman that um I, i'm probably going to be doing a work actually i shouldn't say probably i am going to be running a workshop with him uh, i think next spring in uh, the blue ridge mountains a gentleman by the name of tommy white and um, if you're not familiar with Tommy White, definitely check out his Instagram. Super cool guy, down to earth, fantastic photographer. And he's, uh, if, if you look at his Instagram grid, you'll notice that he, he photographs a ton of waterfalls and just lots of moving water, which is what that's kind of like my jam as well. I, I love photographing moving water. So him and I kind of gravitated towards one another. But uh, if you've never had him on your show, I would highly recommend reaching out to Tommy White for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And someone who is uh, speaking of vans, this person's not a photographer, but they're, this person is a, a, um, a YouTuber. I don't know his name, but he, anybody in the, the, the van world or who's looking to build a van who watches YouTube for inspiration or some type of educational information related to building vans probably knows of this channel, but it's, it's called 70 Savage. And he's, I want to say maybe in his mid to late twenties, super entertaining guy, very, very smart. The guy's a, a, a building wizard. It's not his full-time job. I think he's got a corporate job, but <laughs> he is really, really good. And, and he has taught me so much about building out vans and uh, I find him just super interesting. I've only talked, spoken with him on Instagram, I think once or twice, just a, a passing comment. But might be something interesting that um, other listeners of your podcast who might be interested in uh, doing truck camping or van camping might be interested in. But uh, yeah, Seven O Savage, he, he'd, he'd be a pretty interesting guest, I think. Cool, awesome, yeah. Mark. Well, this has been this has been fun. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I um, wish you the best of luck in those upcoming workshops. Those sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thanks again to Mark for joining me on the podcast this week. It was really great to finally get to know you better and to hear your story. To see more of Mark's amazing work, visit his website at markdenningphotography.com. Also, the conversation continues over on Patreon, where Mark and I discuss everything we know about photographing waterfalls. If that is something you want to hear more about, please do support the show by becoming a sustaining member on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen. Also, I wanted to remind listeners that we have a club over on Clubhouse, the popular audio-based social media app. On our club, we have weekly after parties hosted by listeners. The idea is to provide a platform for listeners to engage with each other after each show to have a meaningful conversation. I promise that on occasion, both me and the guests will make appearances as well. So if that sort of thing interests you, search for our club on Clubhouse or look for the link in the show notes. 
I would like to take a moment to thank our Patreon podcast producers. These are individuals that help sustain the podcast at the $20 a month level and are at the heart and soul of the podcast's ability to stay afloat. There is a link to each person's website listed at mattpainphotography.com in the podcast menu link. Please help support their work too. They include Gary Randall, David Kingham, Eric Stensland, Jeff Peterson, Ken Dono, Anton Everine, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Matthias Joland, Suzanne Mathia, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, John Whitaker, Joshua Wallace, Drew Armstrong, Drew Harbaugh, Jim Valencourt, Jennifer King, Craig Young, Adam Bulliard, Michael DeMiola, Chuck Mora, J- Jacob Buchowski, uh, Jay Fritz Rumpf, Charlie Vandenbrack, Jose Panikuk, Rob Patterson, John Norris, Jeff Risher, Mark Gardner, and Dan Hawk. Thank you all for everything you do to support me in the podcast. And please do not be afraid to reach out if there's something that I can do to help you promote what you're doing in your photography world. Well, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.